church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. I will trust in your power to save me Defend my devotion to you Teach me, teach me your ways, O oh Lord That I may be faithful, faithful in your sight That I may be faithful Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean, and it is great to be back with you once again. I hope your week has gone well. Mine has been quite busy, actually. Uh, I've been on uh, a trip to San Antonio, Texas in an effort to promote my upcoming conference and in San Antonio coming up in August 22nd and 23rd with Dr. Scott Hahn. Very excited about that opportunity. And so uh, we've been traveling back and forth. And uh, I live in North Houston and San Antonio is about three and a half hours depending on traffic. And I was bringing my family this time so they could see the city that uh, I grew up in. I grew up in the north side of San Antonio. So it was a great trip. Uh, very jam-packed full of things to do though. Um, so great time. I pray that yours has gone well as well. Well, we're going to get back into what we talked about last week, starting off with A Father Who Keeps His Promises, Chapter 1. But I kind of want to supplement that today with some other thoughts and um, ideas that I've had over the week. Some, you know, real concerns I've had on my heart. And I want to share those with you and, and allow that to guide our conversation today. So why don't we begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, all glorious and gracious God, we come before you to praise your holy name, to do your will and your will alone. May you send forth your Holy Spirit to descend upon us, to take possession of us, that we might do this grace of yours for your glory alone. May your words come forth. Whatever you want said, may it be said. Whatever you want us to know, may we know it. May we know it for your glory alone. I pray for all those who listen to this show, that their hearts may be filled with the joy of Christ, the peace in their hearts that you give forth in your love through the blessed sacraments that you have provided us in your church. May we enrich our lives with those graces. We pray to your blessed mother, our mother, that she might intercede for us every day reinvigorating our faith, making us alive in Christ Jesus. May our hearts burn with passion and love for him alone. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Well, last week we were talking about covenants, covenants versus contracts, and that came from, uh, to us from a father who keeps his promises. And you and I both know of a lot of examples of how this can apply in our lives every day. 
And last week we used the analogy of marriage. A lot of people think marriage is like a contract. Contracts can be broken. No, marriage is a covenant. And covenants can't be broken. And that's what we talked about. That in a contract you exchange goods or services. You know, money or a barter deal. For the sake of economy. But in a contract you swear an oath. Invoking God as a witness. For what? To exchange persons. Why? To enlarge family bonds. And that's what we're going to look at when we start to look at the individual covenants sworn and promised in sacred scripture. And there are six of them that we're going to get into. And each step of the way, you see God's family being enlarged. And so it it was quite profound to use that in the context of marriage to discuss it. Why? Because in modern society, marriage has taken a beating, man. And you know that. You and I both have, know. Either you yourself have endured the, the pains of uh, a breakup, a divorce, or you know someone who has. I myself, my parents were divorced when I was six years old. And let me tell you of the pain involved for a child, a young boy, to beg God to put his family back together only for it not to happen. It's it's pretty hard to cope with that. And I struggled for a long time because I wanted my parents to be together. Even though they couldn't stand each other, I didn't care. It was better for them to be together. So we know firsthand of the pain of covenant breaking, don't we? Well, today, now that I'm an adult, I have my own family. I'm married, a uh, beautiful bride, and I have you know, four lovely kids, three in heaven even, and four here on earth. And I know how hard it is to be a good husband. It's a struggle, and I'm not really any good at it. My wife will tell you. It's a struggle to keep your marriage going. But the difference is when you... When you get married, it's a sacrament. You swear an oath. Remember that word sacramentum? And we we actually quoted from Pliny the Younger, a pagan governor who actually describes that in the mass, the Christians were swearing an oath when they were would partake or receive our blessed Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the blessed sacrament. I can tell you examples right today of people I know who are good Catholics or were good Catholics until their marriage broke up. And I can tell you of men who I know who tried to find every excuse in the book to rationalize them leaving their spouse and their kids to run off with someone else, somebody new, to create a whole new life for them. Oh, they'll tell you a million. God, they'll say, you know, God wants us to be happy, right? Well, I'm miserable and and this other person, they make me happy. Does, does God really want your happiness in that way? No, he really doesn't. That's not happiness, quote unquote, to God. Happiness to God is life everlasting, you know, with him in the beatific vision. Happiness to God is your obedience. Jesus Christ was obedient, obedient unto death, even death unto a cross. Does that sound like personal gain to you? It was personal gain for you and me. The the cross was gain for us, gain of the potential of salvation. But God does not seek our personal happiness in so far as our, our selfishness. 
Life can sometimes be miserable, can it? We are poor. We have nothing. Sometimes we're hungry and starving. And and sometimes we endure discomfort from all kinds of sources. We don't like our jobs. We have to wait in long lines to get simple things. You know, we just are miserable. Is that happiness or is that misery? If you endure it with a holy heart, with a generous heart, it can be holiness and it can be happiness. That's the difference, I think, that modern society has really, really lost. They've lost the idea of sacrifice. And I think too many folks, people like you and me, average people, don't realize that they're called to action. That every single one of us is called to be holy and to be in in progress, in action. And it's like a verb. You know, we, we have to be moving for the faith. We can't be sideline Christians. We can't be, you know, uh, what they here in the States, they call them, you know, quarter uh, Monday morning quarterback Christians from afar, not doing anything but critiquing someone else and their efforts. No, we have to be about the business of our Lord. And I kind of want to talk about that as it pertains to to living and trying to live a holy life. If you know somebody, now in my case, I know mostly men who have forsaken the covenant bond with which they swore before God himself when they married their spouse, married their bride. They forsook this covenant bond to leave this marriage, to go away, to leave this woman without anything, without any means of care for her herself. That's why, that's part of the reason why God has given them to us as spouses, men, so that we can care for their needs. That's part of the family bond. God gives us each other so that we can help to provide for each other. Why don't this poor, why aren't the poor fed? It's don't wait for God to send forth, you know, manna from heaven to feed the poor. He sends you to feed the poor for him. God sends me to hug my two-year-old for him so that my two-year-old can see God through me. Do you see how in covenant bonds, God increases family and he sends us, each other, to care for the needs of each other. And that's never more true with, with, than within the, the sacred boundaries of the marriage between a man and a woman before the eyes of God. And so I think a lot of us need to understand that we are called to action. Men of action. That's what we are. Men and women, actually. But I kind of want to speak to the hearts of men today. I just feel this need to talk to men especially when it comes to their marriage. Now, I have not, I do not have a perfect marriage. I have not figured out how to be the perfect husband or father. I have a lot of room to grow there, and I am no expert. I would direct you to much better resources than myself. But I can tell you this, it requires, first and foremost, perseverance. If you go into a marriage thinking, well, if it fails, it fails. It's okay. I'll just start over. No, it doesn't work that way. You can't just start over. You swore an oath. You gave your word. 
Now, we talked about last week about how when God gives his word, it means something. When he promises something, it comes to pass. Is the same true for you? When you give your word, does it mean something? When you give a promise, does it come to pass? You see, when we married our spouses, if you're married, you said, till death do us part. That in the good times and the bad, I would be there. That's perseverance. And when times get really, really rocky, and trust me, I've experienced rocky. You have to remember the perseverance. You have to persevere. You have to be dedicated to no matter what, getting through it. And it ain't always easy, is it? You might have a spouse who cheats on you. You might have a spouse who disrespects you. You might have a spouse who is abusive to you. Now, you shouldn't be in an abusive relationship, but we're not talking divorce either. You see, God does not recognize what states might call divorce. God's not bound by some judge's opinion about the, you know, uh, dissolvency of a, a marriage. Once the two have become one, let no man put asunder. That's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5, uh, in his Sermon on the Mount, he brings this out. That marriage from the very beginning was never meant to be broken. And so it's important for us to use this concept of covenant relationship to think about our promises and our oaths that we swear in our lives. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you're single. That's okay. You too swear oaths. You too make promises. You too give your word. Are you a person of action? You see, I like to think of my walk with Christ, my action that I take every day to be an evangelist, to be a man who goes out and tries to share the faith with the world. You see, I feel defeated every single day. I'm not a perfect man. I'm a sinner. I make tons of mistakes. Ask my wife and kids. They'll tell you. I am grumpy. I am, you know, uh, I, I forget to be charitable a lot of times. I forget to take care of those around me who need me most to be sacrificial. I'm too often lazy and selfish when I should be giving of myself and self-sacrifice. We have to be men of action, men and women of action. And what does that mean? Why do I keep repeating that? Because I want to get this idea into your head that you don't have to be perfect to be a person of faith, sharing this faith with the entire world. I like to think of, uh, you know, in football, in American football, when you fumble the ball, you can pick it up and keep running with it. The, you know, the play isn't over just because the ball was fumbled. No, when the ball was fumbled, it's sort of, you know, jumping all over the, the field and all the players are rushing to grab this ball, pick it up and run down the field with it. That's how I think of my walk with Christ. Because I'm all the time fumbling the ball. I'm all the time dropping the ball and I'm fumbling it down the field. But guess what? Here's the trick. Did you catch it? The ball is moving down the field. Yeah. Even though I'm fumbling it, the ball is moving down the field. That's the trick. Doesn't the devil like to whisper in your ear? Doesn't he say something like, uh, 
You can't share the faith. You're not perfect enough. Didn't you just do something really bad a minute ago? How dare you share your faith with someone else when you're not even perfect? Aren't you a sinner like the rest of them? I mean, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Doesn't the devil do that to us all the time? Well, he does to me all the time. He reminds me of all of my faults. He is accusing me constantly before the very face of God, saying, look at that guy, Joe McLean. What a hypocrite he is out there trying to share the faith. Look how bad he is. He doesn't love you, God. But God, who is a loving father, has patience and endurance with his son, Joe McLean. And he'll have patience and endurance with you. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High. Don't you, if you have children, don't you have to have patience with your children? Because clearly they're not perfect, right? Having children helped me to understand more about God than I could ever have imagined. Because that's often how God looks at us, like little children. And we throw these temper tantrums and fits crying, whining, and this and that. And we're demanding, and we're selfish. It's all about us. And yet, as parents, we patiently endure that. We, we, we mentor them. We guide them. We love them, despite all the downsides. Because just looking at them fills our heart full of joy. When my children were born, my heart grew. I never understood or realized that I would have the capacity to really love another person than that day when I saw my children being born. That was awe-inspiring. That was a God moment. That's what it's like. We must fumble the ball down the field. If that's all we can muster, then so be it. That will work too. We might not pick the ball up and run like some superstar athlete looking pretty good on camera, dancing in the end zone, doing our end zone football you know, touchdown dance. Maybe that's not going to be us. But you know what? As St. Paul said, that we run the race, that we must endure to the end. We must work out our salvation in fear and trembling. If we just get to the end zone, then we've made it. And that's what matters. Let me give you an example of somebody who's fumbled the ball down the field quite well. King David. Do you remember the story of King David? Well, King David, you know, he was anointed by God when he was just a, a little boy, a shepherd in the field, the least among his brothers. Now, his brothers went off to war to fight the Philistines, and David stayed behind because he was just small. And his dad, Jesse, was afraid for him and didn't want him to get really too involved. Well, what happens? He goes out there to feed his brothers some food, and he sees all the mighty Israelite army afraid because this big giant from the Philistines, Goliath, was out there threatening, saying, bring out your best war and I'll take him on. And whoever wins the battle, then the whole army will win. And the Israelites were too cowardly to go out there and face this monster. Well, this little tiny boy says, I'll go out there. I'll take this guy on. And he goes out there with some pebbles and he takes down the giant. And then that starts his long parade of heroics before God. 
And so ultimately, when Saul dies, he becomes king and he starts to create a kingdom. And that's one of the covenants we're going to read about in a future show. He creates this kingdom. Now, what happens? David gets complacent. He gets a little um, lazy because David was the only character in all of sacred scripture to be called a man after God's own heart. And yet one night David sees this woman and he says, oh, I got to have her. But that woman wasn't his to have. And he takes her anyway. And God was upset at this. And he sends his prophet to David's house, his prophet Nathan. And you can read about this in Second Samuel chapter 12. And Samuel, or Nathan rather, starts to give a little bit of a parable or, or story to David to get him to understand the, the audacity of his sin, the, the sheer gravity of what he has done. You see, they, Bathsheba became pregnant with their encounter. And David ended up killing Bathsheba's husband. He ended up having him murdered, basically, Uriah, the Hittite. And so David had to undergo a process of repentance, a process of confession, where God met David through Nathan, the prophet. It's the same sort of image we see. It's like a foreshadowing, a foretype of the confession that will come in the sacrament of of reconciliation in Christ's church in the New Testament. We see this prophet acting on behalf of God, going through a bit of a confession, drawing David out and getting David to confess his sins, realizing what he's done. And David repents with all his heart. But God strikes the child with a sickness. And what happens? David lays prostrate on his face and fasts, no food, no water, seven Days. You can read about this. Chapter 12 of Second Samuel, starting in verse 15. He fasts for seven days, and what happens? The child dies. That's the price of David's sin. What does David do? Does David shake his fist at God? How dare you take this child? No. David gets up. He washes himself. He anoints himself. He goes to the house of the Lord and he worships. Isn't that the true purpose of repentance? Is bringing us back to God, not further away? When we go through a penance, when God gives us a penance for our sins, that's because it's trying to transform our heart, to root out all the bad stuff, the selfishness, to let only holiness thrive. It is painful, but you know what? Sometimes we go through a little pain to get better. That's a great example of a man who fumbled the ball pretty darn good, but he was the only one who says, who God claimed was a man after his own heart. And when you read the Psalms, you can understand why. Because he just sings of God's praises. Do you sing of God's praises? Well, you need to today. You need to do that. You need to move the ball down the field. You know, in Matthew uh, chapter 12, we see a little story of Jesus speaking to some crowds. And yet his mother comes to visit him. And he's told, hey, your mom's at the door. And this is in verse 46 of chapter 12 in St. Matthew's Gospel. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, and I'll just read verse 46. 
while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brethren. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I love that verse. And a lot of non-Catholic uh, Christians like to say, well, you know, you Catholics, you hold Mary in too high esteem. Yet here in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verse 46 to 50, Jesus sort of plays her down a bit. No, that's not at all what's happening. Mary isn't special because of her biology. Mary is special because she said yes. Because she serves the Lord, the God who saved her. That's what she says in Luke's gospel. She praises God and she serves him with all her heart. That's what makes her special. That's what makes you special. Do you serve God with all your heart? That's what makes you a disciple. And you are a disciple. You are a person of action for the faith. Even if you have to fumble the, the ball down the field, God has given you confession for that purpose. He's given you the ability to continually come back to him, to continually be forgiven and absolved of your sin, to be restored to full dignity as a child of the Most High. Fumbling that ball down the field is okay. You see, in Matthew's Gospel again, chapter 28, there at the end, what does Jesus say to his 12 disciples? He says, go out into all the world, making them disciples. They've made you a disciple, have they not? His disciples, his 12 men, turned around and made bishops out of the next people who had to replace their office. Those bishops are still existing today. In apostolic uh, succession, they've come down to us from that day to this. And they are calling you to disciplehood. Pope John Paul II called us all out to a new evangelization. And we are required to do it. Let me give you another analogy of how the devil attacks us, preventing us from being people of action. I used to serve in the Marine Corps back in the early 90s. Well, I was a squad leader, and I took a squad of Marines out on a combat patrol. And I got sight of an enemy unit moving parallel to our position. And so I gave the signal for my men to stop in their place, take cover. I moved up and did a leader's recon, and I noticed that we could move into an ambush position, and we would be able to take the enemy out, which was our orders. So I moved my unit, my squad of Marines, into place, and I waited for the enemy to get into the kill zone, and then I gave the order to open fire. And no sooner than we began laying heavy fire on the enemy unit, we began to take fire from our rear, about 50 yards behind us in a gully. We were being ambushed ourselves. I turned around. I saw the muzzle flashes 50 yards away. I knew there was only one reaction to this. There's only one way with which you can react to an attack. 
and that's to counterattack. And without thinking, I began to yell at the top of my lungs, get online assault through, get online assault through. And I started to run towards that muzzle flash, opening fire, opening fire. I looked to my right and I yelled at two Marines, get up, get up. Look to my left, they're all laying on their bellies, afraid they're going to die. But they don't know that if you don't get up, you're dead already. The only shot you have at life is to get up and to attack with everything you got, to overwhelm the enemy with everything you got, or he has got you defeated. We all die someday. But if we don't fight back, then we shall never live. Now that day was only a training exercise. No real bullets were flying through the air, and yet those men still laid on their belly. Imagine what happens when the real firefight comes down to us, and we get attacked like that every day from the devil. He wants you to lay on your belly and do nothing, and I tell you, get up, get up, and attack with all you got. Be a person of action. He's calling you out. You are a disciple. Mark eight thirty eight. Jesus says, make a choice. You either stand for me or I don't stand for you. It's time for us to choose. <laughs> That's going to do it. Another exciting show. Behold the man. I look forward to speaking to you next week. Until then, I want to encourage you to stop by my website at www.catholichack.com where you can check out all the stuff that I'm into. I hope to hear from you. Give me an email at catholichack at gmail.com or call me at 713-568-6277. I'm looking forward to seeing you next time. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground.